It's okay, son. Bye-bye. That turned out better than I expected. All right, so for those who want to follow along, you're welcome to turn to Genesis 1. That's where most of our time is going to be this morning. I want to open us up in prayer. Jesus, I'm just so grateful to you, God. You are such a wonderful mystery. God, and you've chosen to reveal yourself to us. And though we don't deserve it, you still do it. We're just so grateful for your kindness, for your love. Lord, it could be very easy, God, that you could turn away from us, look down upon our sin and forget us, but yet you embrace us and you welcome us in. What an amazing truth, God, that we get to know you. And I pray, Lord, that we would know you better and better and better. And God, from that relationship, Lord, we can allow others, God, to know you better and better and better because, God, there is no reason that anyone should turn their gaze from you because you truly are all that we need. I'm so grateful to be here this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would open up my mouth to speak. I pray that you would open up their hearts to hear. And God, as brothers, as sisters, as friends, God, I pray, Lord, that ultimately, God, that we'd be unified, that you may be glorified. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How are y'all doing this morning? Y'all have a happy fourth? Who went and saw the parade? Let's say you better have saw the parade. (laughs) She's in the Lions Club and we put it on, so if she wasn't there, then we'd kick her out of the club, so just kidding. (laughs) Well, I'm going to uh, do something a little bit out of the ordinary. You know, normally I uh, get up here and I preach a normal message, and usually when I preach, it's usually a little bit heavier. Sorry for that. Uh, Today it's going to be a little bit lighter, so maybe you can wipe the sweat off your brow. Maybe some of y'all were stressed, and hopefully not. Um, But uh, I found myself uh, very busy with uh, work and with kids, and uh, I know that a lot of y'all aren't in the same life stage that I'm in, but I'm sure you can remember what that was like. Uh, where you're just running around like a chicken with your head cut off. And with that, usually what disappears first is your hobbies. And, uh, you know, you try to fit them in where you can. Uh, Thankfully, I have a very nerdy hobby. Uh, Mine is listening to YouTube videos. I'm sure Justin over here can relate with me. I got your brother. And so uh, when I'm doing the dishes, uh, because for some reason we just have dishes upon dishes, they never end, and it's just amazing how big the piles get. And so I have plenty of time to listen to something, and so I'll turn on this YouTube video stream and it will just kind of continue down this rabbit hole while I'm doing it. Or um, the other day I was mowing the lawn, well I said the other day, last week I was mowing the lawn, and again I put headphones in and I turn on this YouTube thing and I'm listening to it. And... uh, I get really, really nerdy when it comes to it, like super nerdy, like what can I find on like astrophysics, and I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, this is so cool, and I'm like nerding out over astrophysics, or uh, what can I find about the universe and what they're uh, discovering with this new telescope that they just issued, has anyone heard of the new telescope that they have? So you got one. So most people are familiar with the Hubble, well, this thing like puts the Hubble to shame. They have these super high-tech mirrors, and then they get to use infrared on there to be able to look back at the very beginning of the universe. And so they're finding all these different discoveries, and it's just amazing what they're finding. And so uh, while I was nerding out over this, I found myself praising the Lord. It's absolutely amazing how once you start getting into the um, beginning of our universe and begin getting into the science of things, how this thing just becomes more and more accurate. It's just absolutely fascinating. So 
I just wanted to lead y'all down a journey on some of the things. I'm going to nerd out with you guys. I'm going to try to do my best to put it in layman's terms and hopefully none of you fall asleep. If any of you don't like science, maybe leave for the first half of the sermon. Go get a drink or something. Uh, because that's what I'm going to be doing with you guys is going through the science. But with it, I'm also going to go through the scripture and I'm hoping it creates a sense of awe and wonder and worship. And then from there, I'll get into the application later on. So are you all cool with all that? Okay, cool. So <clears throat> let me just share my findings with you guys. Can we just pull up the first slide after this one, Ken? Okay, next one. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right, that's fine. What I found in my research, though, is that what I thought that that meant and what that actually means is something slightly different. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of that because I want to get into some of this and it doesn't make sense unless I do. So what I originally thought is God created the heavens and the earth, that that meant that that first verse, God made everything. And then after he made anything, then he started doing the things that he did in the story. So God made light and then God made the earth and God made uh, the stars. He made the animals. Well, what the actual Hebrew there means is God began his process of creating the heavens and the earth is what the literal uh, Hebrew means. So it's basically, that's telling us in the beginning, God began to create, and then it starts unfolding the story of what that creation then looked like, okay? So I just wanted to paint that for you. Maybe all y'all knew that, but you know, I, I'm a very literal person, so when it said God created everything, I thought he was done, and then he did additional. It's like, no, that was just the beginning of it. So, so here's the actual uh, more literal translation. In one of many beginnings, God began to create. Okay, so just want to paint that to you. Let's go to the next slide. So in there, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. Okay, well, I find that passage very interesting, um, and we'll get into some of this a little bit. Does it say anything about land? No? Okay, can you go to the next slide? So they began doing research, and they have found that the water on earth is older than the sun. And they first believed that the sun was the first thing created in our solar system. If you want to go and you want to take Christianity and you want to put it to the side, and you want to just think rationally, you would think, okay, well, you need some kind of big celestial body like a sun to create a big significant amount of gravity so that it can start pulling in satellites or planets as we call them. Okay, so the sun needs to be the oldest thing in the solar system for there to be a solar system. It just makes sense. Well, they have found, for some reason, the water is older than the sun. Really quite interesting. Okay, what's also interesting is that the water here on Earth is older than our rocks. That if you actually take and you do a study on how old the oldest rocks we have on Earth is, it's not as old as our water. Well, it's interesting. The Bible talks about that. In the very beginning, the Earth was nothing but water. Hmm. Okay. Science seems to back it up, okay? Let's go to the next slide. So let's get into the point of creation because I want to talk about this. Um, Who here is a fan of the Big Bang? I'm assuming no one, so we got one, okay. To me, <clears throat> I've had to do a lot of thinking. And I had to kind of come into, why am I so opposed to this idea? Do you all know the original story of the Big Bang? The way that it was created is there was this um, creationist scientist who came out and said, look, the universe hasn't always been. There was a starting point to it. And there was this other scientist who was an atheist who came out and mocked him. And said, so he's like, so you're telling me that the universe started with some kind of big bang? And he mocked him and he laughed him and that's where the terminology came from. Well then, the scientist who was mocking this creationist found out that the universe was expanding. 
And he began to scratch his head and said, well, if the universe is expanding, it must at some point have been together. And so in trying to disprove the creationists, he ended up coming in and proving him. And so they ended up coining the term that he originally used to mock him to give the name for it, Big Bang. So we shouldn't be opposed to it because what it actually is, is it's a solidification of what we know is true, that the universe had a point. It had a point of beginning where everything started. And so they've done this research and they've found that the point of starting breaks the laws of physics. They said every single thing that you can possibly see in the observable universe, galaxies, planets, stars, people, everything, all of those material was literally crammed into a piece so small we can't even measure it. Now how in the world is that even possible? They don't know. It's what's called a singularity. So they said the Big Bang, that all of matter was in a single point all at one time, and all of a sudden it exploded out, and that's how it happened. Well, I can very easily tell you how that happened, because the point in which it started was right outside of the mouth of the Lord when he spoke. So the idea of the Big Bang and its singularity is 100% in line with Scripture. We shouldn't be opposed to it. We need to better understand it. And I get it, there are opponents who try to use it, but when you really understand it, you should stop and you should thank the Lord for it because it's amazing how much it solidifies his word. Well, here's another crazy thing. So when the Big Bang happened, and I'm just going to use that terminology, we can also use creation. They're interchangeable in this point because I've already established the Big Bang is the creation story. So at the creation, at the Big Bang, there was so much energy that was released in that moment that the entire universe was nothing but a hot soup. Literally nothing was formed. There was no atoms, there was no planets, there was no stars, there was nothing. You know what the first thing there was after the singularity, after the Big Bang, after creation, according to science? Light. Let's go to the next slide, please. Okay, and then the next one. If you, oh, you skipped it. And then God said, let there be light, and there was. So according to the Bible, the first thing the Lord made was light. According to science, the first thing that was made after the Big Bang was light. Isn't that interesting? And the crazy powerful thing was, and I just want to take a moment just to resonate this, they said there was literally so much energy in that moment, it took 200,000 years before the universe was cool enough for matter to be created. Now, normally we'd look at that and be like, well, the earth isn't that old, which is fine. We can talk about that here in a second. But I want you to think about how powerful the Lord must be. Can you imagine having so much energy that you say a word and the universe is so excited about it, it literally cannot calm down for over 200,000 years before it can do anything. You talk about magnificence and you talk about power, my goodness, I cannot put anything else in scale of that. They said it's not even possible for matter to have existed because there was so much energy in that moment. And all the Lord had to do was say a word. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So I want to get into this, and y'all don't have to agree with me on this next point. It's just some things to think about. Because usually we read this account here, and we look at the seven days of creation, and we look at them as literal days, which if you want to do that, that's fine. But I want to give you some things to think about on maybe why it may not be a literal day. And then if you want to come talk to me afterwards, I'm more than happy to. I won't be argumentative. I would love to hear your opinions. The thing that kind of strikes me, though, that I have difficulty with that, is if you go to verse 14, that's when the Lord created the sun. Well, if there was no sun, how did we have a day? So far as I understand it, what a day is, is the earth rotates, 
And as soon as that sun pops on that one horizon and gets to the other, that day is over. Well, if there is no sun to do that, I'm really quite curious of where that measurement came from. Well, if you get into the Hebrew here, a day can also mean age, a period of time. And so to me, that's how I translate it. And what's a billion years to someone who's eternal? You know, there's a verse that talks about it, and we have it up here, that says a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And so, you know, what's the point of looking at this as six literal days whenever it probably was six literal days to the Lord, even if it was 14 billion years? Because to him, a billion years is a laugh. When you have eternity to think about, I'm sorry, a billion years is nothing. You sit and you just chuckle. <laughs> a billion years, whatever. <laughs> so I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing that it's an age. It's, it's a period of time. And so that first verse that we see there, that was at least 200,000 years for things to cool down. And then the God began to do his other different things. Okay? So let's go to the next slide. So here's in the verse that it talks about um, that the Lord then created day and night and how it came several days later. So you can go to the next one. There it is. Day equals age and not a literal day. That's my translation. So you can go to the next one. Oh, yeah, there it is. Verse 14 to 16, sorry. Okay, you can go to the next one, kid. There's a verse. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. Next one. All right. So this is uh, what I was mentioning earlier about the creation of land. I find it really fascinating. Because it talks about the waters back in verse 2, but it's not until verse 9 that we start to see land talked about for the first time. So God said, let the waters beneath the sky flow into one place so that dry ground may appear. And that is what happened. And God called the dry ground land and the water seas, and then God saw that it was good. Go to the next verse, or next slide. So we found that the water on earth, depending on who you talk to, some say 4.5 billion years, some say 5 billion years. They're kind of guesstimating, obviously. But the oldest rocks we have found on earth only date back 3.8 which makes you wonder, how can the water possibly be older than the rocks? Well, their definition and their explanation is, oh, well, the water must have come from a meteorite somewhere and landed on the earth. And this is a different meteorite than killed the dinosaur, so I don't know how many meteorites have hit the earth, but I guess it's a lot. When all I have to do is look at this thing and go, oh, well, it wasn't until verse 9 that God made the rocks. So it totally makes sense that the water is older than the earth. Hmm, really fascinating. So as you pull back the layers, and as much as science tries, when you have real genuine science looking into it, where they're just simply trying to discover what is, it's amazing how much it proves what is. I just found it so fascinating. Go to the next slide, please, Ken. So that's pretty small writing. I don't know if y'all can read all of it or not. But it's just getting into this last little bit of creation that I want to do. Because is there anyone who's super familiar with uh, what Darwin taught and what his theory was and all that? Well, there's a couple different things that he speculated whenever he came out with his theory on evolution. Evolution's only been around about 150 years, give or take. There's some time difference there. And what it was is the man was discovering um, this new island that he'd never been to before. And he loved to do sketches and records of different birds and fossils and things like that. And he found that there was this bird on this island that was really similar to a bird that he had on this other island over here. And so he came to the conclusion is, well, maybe these birds came from a similar ancestor. Okay, and they evolved and they've just... Uh, been in different places, and so that's the reason why there's differences, is this one was over here and it evolved this way, this one was over here and it evolved this way. Well, he came out and he said, well, there's only a couple ways that this could be true. Okay? He's like, first, the human cell, which at that time, they had a very terrible microscope, has to be very simple. If we get further and further into this and we realize that the cell is ridiculously complicated and that there's a ton of variables to it, there's no possible way that it can evolve in the way that I'm describing. 
He's like, it would be mathematically improbable for it to happen. He goes, the second thing is, he's like, is we don't have these fossil records that indicate this, okay? So, so far as the theory of evolution goes, everything is mutation. And so, and a lot of the mutation is accidental. So, you know, you have something that accidentally mutates a pair of legs, it finds itself on land, it finds these legs beneficial while it's on land, it mates with something, and it continues on that genealogy until eventually it becomes beneficial to the species and it goes forward. So you would find things like a whale with a pair of legs, and you would find things like um, a dinosaur, uh, or maybe a half mammal, half alligator, because obviously mammals and reptiles are different, so you'd have to find this like kind of mid-species between the two. And so Darwin says, well, we just don't have enough archaeological records to prove it. He's like, so what we should find is over hundreds of millions of years, as we dig deeper into archaeology, you'll start finding these subspecies deeper and deeper and deeper as you go. Well, here's what it says. We are now 120 years after Darwin, and the knowledge of the fossil record has been greatly expanded. We now have a quarter of a million fossil species, but the situation hasn't changed much. The record of evolution is still surprisingly jerky, and ironically, we have even fewer examples of evolutionary transition than we had in Darwin's time. By this, I mean that some of the classic Kasich of Darwin change in the fossil records, such as the evolution of the horse in North America, have had to be discarded or modified as a result of more detailed information. What appeared to be a nice, simple progression when relatively few data were available now appears to be much more complex and much less gradualistic. So Darwin's problem has not been alleviated in the last 120 years. We still have a record which does not show change, but one that can hardly be looked upon as the most reasonable consequence of natural selection. Because what they found is they were digging, looking for going layers and layers and layers deeper to find these transitions. And they started digging, and life just stopped. So there's a point where they're digging, and literally life just happened. And then before that, nothing. They don't have a good explanation for it. I do. I do. Okay, let's go to the next slide. This is going to get really fun, okay? So we're going to transition just a little bit, but it's going to be on the same topic. So we've been getting deeper and deeper into uh, how the universe is made. And when you get into it, the subatomic, which anyone watch the Marvel movies? They've been getting like super deep into the quantum realm and things like that, if you know what that is. The quantum realm was a fancy way of saying this is the place where atoms live and quarks and as you get smaller and smaller and smaller, okay? Well, as they get deeper and deeper into that, they've been having to change their understanding of how the universe works. Because, okay, so we used to, we had this idea of um, Newtonian physics. And Newton was a genius. My gosh, was he a brilliant, brilliant man. But what they found in the early 1900s is that Newton's laws don't apply everywhere, okay? For instance, if you were to go to another planet that had different gravity, Newton's laws no longer worked. So Newton's laws are very contextual insofar as they work on Earth. They don't work anywhere else. Well, that's where Albert Einstein came in. And Albert Einstein found, okay, well, the laws of physics can change based upon uh, your reference point. So if you're in a higher field of gravity, your physics is going to change. If you're going faster, your physics is going to change. So everything was reference point. So they thought that's how the universe worked. Well, then they started getting smaller and smaller and realized the physics doesn't work in the quantum realm. It breaks down, and they don't know why. So... They begin running all these different theories to try to explain what they see. Uh, for instance, in the quantum realm, things can move faster than the speed of light, which according to Einstein is impossible, but yet it does. 
In the quantum realm, things can exist in multiple places at the same time, which, according to Einstein, is, again, impossible. So they don't really quite understand how all these different things are working. So this theory came out. It's called the string theory. And I want to read it to you, and then I want to put some context to it, because I find it amazing. So the only way that they made the mathematics work in the quantum realm is by applying this theory. It's the only thing that makes sense, okay? String theory is the idea in theoretical physics that reality is made up of infinitesimal vibrating strings smaller than atoms, electrons, or quarks. According to this theory, as the strings vibrate, twist, and fold, they produce effects in many tiny dimensions, and humans interpret everything from particle physics to large-scale phenomenon like gravity. So you're telling me everything is made up like a vibrating string, almost like sound vibrations, almost like it was spoken into existence. Hmm, very fascinating. So everything that we know and see and observe is nothing but sound particles vibrating. Isn't that what this says? That God spoke everything into existence? It's amazing. It's amazing. Let's go to the next slide. Genesis 1, 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, and 24. Seven times God spoke creation into existence. And the amazing thing is, is we can't do anything to undo it. Okay? So God put all these things into motion, and they've been in motion, and we can't unput them in motion. If you go to the next slide. The law of conservation of mass states that in a chemical reaction, mass is neither created nor destroyed. For example, the carbon atom in a coal becomes carbon dioxide when it's burned. The carbon atom changes from a solid to a gas, but its mass does not change. We can't even undo what God did. We have so little control, we can't even undo the little vibrations that he put into order however long ago. It's like we have so little power in comparison to him, it's just absolutely amazing. And so um, I just, as we pull back the layers and as we go deeper, I just find it so fascinating because they're looking at the early universe and they have found that just as with life, everything needed to be perfect in order for an atom to even be created. You know, I was talking about back at the beginning, there was this huge soup-like energy structure that the only thing that there was was light. Well, light has this amazing ability to turn into matter, but it can only do so in very specific circumstances. And so they said that a proton and a neutron are very, very similar in weight, but they're slightly different. And if they were the same exact weight, then the neutron would become a proton and it would pull the electron in and then the atom wouldn't work. If the electron made, weighed slightly more than what it does, the electron would fly off and it wouldn't work. If the proton was slightly bigger than it was, it would pull the electron in and it wouldn't work. Literally, they said, if all atoms weren't finely tuned to behave exactly as they were, none of the atoms would even work. It's almost like someone had their hand on the atom's dial to make them specifically behave as they are. Otherwise, creation itself would have never taken place and everything would have just been photons of light. And that's it. Well, I know whose hand was on the dial. Pretty amazing. Go to the next slide, please. Okay. This is where it gets really fun. Larry, I'm going to ask you. In Revelation, it talks about that we need to praise the Lord who was. Okay. I've wondered about this talks about another place in scripture. I don't have that verse up here, but it says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundation of the world. My question is, is how in the world is that true? 
if Jesus didn't show up till 2,000 years ago, and we know the earth was made a long time ago, how can he be the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world, before he was slain? I don't know. It's always been a mystery to me. Also, at the same time, what does it mean that he is the Lord who was, who is, and is to come? Well, again, they've been looking at the concept of time, and they haven't been able to make any of it make sense. Time is just this elusive, uh, physics-breaking concept that does not fit into the normal way of, of processing the universe. Until they found that there's one way you can look at time, which is very counterintuitive so far as how we humans process. We see everything as a past, we see everything right now, and then we see everything as a future. But they have found that all of time exists now, all of it. The past is just as real as the present is, and it does not disappear. We see the past as something that was here and now it's gone. It's kind of like dissolved into nothingness. They said, no, that moment 10 seconds ago is still in reality. You just can't see it, but it is very much present in there. As well as the future, who that hasn't happened here in 10 seconds, is also here, even though you can't see it or experience it. And that all of time works like this four-dimensional structure that every single moment in all of time and all of creation all exists simultaneously right now. Which seems to line up very much with what the Bible talks about insofar as our Lord. And it very much explains how he can be the Lamb of God that was slain before the creation of the world because at the creation of the world that time already existed in the future. And it was present then just like it is now. Amazing. It's amazing. This thing unfolds mysteries here that we are just now discovering after thousands of years of it being written. Was that me? No, it wasn't my phone. Someone else's. So, just amazing. Let's go to the next one. See, there it is. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end says the Lord, I'm the one who always is, who always was, and who is still to come. Next one. Okay. This is where I want to get into just the power of the Lord. Because here's what I want to do today. I want to bring all this to your attention because I want to create a sense of worship. It's amazing to me how accurate this thing is. It's amazing to me how big our God is. Um, we keep pulling back the layers. This new telescope that came out, uh, they have found that uh, they expected that the universe would behave in a certain very straightforward, normal way. And what I mean by that is they expected there to be nothing but light, okay? And then after that, they expected there to be nothing but um, atoms in a very disorganized manner. So a bunch of hydrogen, a bunch of helium, a bunch of random things out there that eventually gravity caused it to collect together to form stars. Okay. And so the universe, after this big explosion, kind of slowly made its way into the structure that we see it today. So this new telescope has allowed them to go to the other side of the observable universe back to galaxies that were created very shortly after the creation moment. And so they expected them to see nothing or hardly anything. And the wild thing that they have found is that those galaxies are already perfectly formed. That they look exactly like our galaxy looks today just shortly after the creation moment. And they have no explanation for this. It's almost as if someone went ahead and just made galaxies as they were and let it be. And so they're having to completely redo their hypothesis on the Big Bang and how it works because everything doesn't have this linear line of following things. It's almost like someone had their hand on the galaxy dials and were just making them. And things were as if they are today which, according to this, is exactly what happened. And man, to think about what a galaxy is, I think our galaxy alone has somewhere in the hundreds of millions of stars, which every single one of those stars is bigger than our planet. 
every single one. And on probably almost every single one of those stars, there are planets orbiting it. And that's just one. And to think that there's two trillion of them, with a T, trillion, that each one of them has hundreds of millions of stars and probably billions of planets. It really puts into, I think it's the next slide, the verse where it says, what is man that you should think of him? Like, I cannot think of the scale of which to put the context of, like, how high up the Lord is and how low we are. Like, to think about someone who's able to speak into existence two trillion galaxies without even blinking an eye, and yet he thinks of us at all? That should humble us to our core. To our very deepest part of our core is what are we that he should think of us? And then to take a step further, what are we that he would die for us? Like, to say that it's like me and an ant is to elevate the ant to a, a huge level. The only thing I could think to say, it's as if I looked on the bacteria on my hand and considered that I don't want to wash my hands and kill that bacteria because I care for it. Have you ever stopped and not washed your hands because you cared about the bacteria on your hands? Ever? And then let alone to think, I'm going to die for that bacteria? That's how low we are on the totem pole when we look at how magnificent he is. And it really puts into context how much he really does love us, how kind he is. You know, when you look at the uh, chronological order of this thing, I think we need to change this. You know, I love the Bible and how it is. But the first book written in here was Job. I think we need to put Job back at the front of the Bible because it's a great lens to start your relationship with the Lord to understand. I'm sorry, I get it, but who are you? Genuinely, who are you? You know, Job comes in with all these problems and all these things, and he's shaking his fist at the Lord. And man, if I was in Job's position, I promise you I'd be shaking my fist a lot harder than he did. I promise you that. And God doesn't even answer his question. He doesn't come in and be like, sorry, Job, here's why I had to do this. He comes in and goes, who are you? I'm God. I can do whatever I want. And who are you to tell me otherwise? Were you here when I did this, 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 and this? And Job's like, never mind, I'm done. And he goes, no, 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 no. You started this. I got more to say. And then he just more, 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 more. And he's like, I'm undone. Never mind. You have every right to do what you did to me. And then the Lord came and restored him. That's the amazing thing is the Lord has every right to do the things he does. Every right. He is so up here. We need to remind ourselves of that every day that, man, we, are, we should just be grateful he thinks of us. And then not only that, he's then kind to us. He gives us good things, even though he doesn't have to. It's just amazing, amazing to me. But I want it just to create a little bit of humility because unfortunately we have been very arrogant um, in not only approaching the Lord, but also approaching our peers. The Bible talks about one enemy, one, that's it. One. There's not two, there's not three, there's not four, there's one. And that enemy is Satan. That's it. If you fill in the blank with any other thing, but, no, 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 no. I don't care about that other country. I don't care about that other religion. I don't care about that other politics. I don't care about that other fill in the blank. I don't care about it. What I care about is Satan. Yeah, Satan will use those people, but... If we're not praying for them to be free of his grasp, how can we expect them to do any differently? That's the crazy thing about it, and I am guilty of it, so guilty of it, of being angry with that other person and expecting them to change as if they can unless that hand is removed. It talks about that. It says the spirit 
of the world is in the sons of disobedience. We have to pray for the removal of that spirit before we can expect anything to happen. And, you know, to our detriment, unfortunately, science has been one of those enemies. I get it. There are some very serious opponents to Christianity in the science world. And I get it. There are some things being taught to our children in the science community at our schools that we may not necessarily be on board with. That's fine. But to view this as the enemy, whenever, if we just had a little bit of humility to have a conversation with some of them, I think maybe the approach would be a little bit different. Jesus was not ever afraid to have a conversation with an opponent. And we need to have the same humility of being like, okay, you know what? I have what I have here, and I don't know what it is that you're proposing. But you know what? I'm not going to be afraid. Let's have a conversation about it, and why don't you tell me what you know? Here's the thing about it. Uh, 1 Corinthians um, 15, 19 says that if we are doing what we are doing for only this life, and that's it, we are to be most pitied of all men. So if this thing is not true, I want to know it. And I should not be afraid that science should be able to disprove this thing. And I think all too often we've been afraid. We've been like, oh my God, what if science comes in? And maybe that's just in the back of our mind. But that's kind of where we're approaching. Is what if science comes in and shows that this thing isn't real? And so we've kept it at a distance. You know, kind of like what they did to Galileo, he was, who was a Christian, by the way. And when they found out, oh my God, he's trying to say that the earth revolves around the sun. What a heretic. Let's kill him. And then they tried to kill Galileo forever. And now we're like, well, yeah, duh, the earth revolves around the sun. We all know it. And yet they could not find that heresy in here. There was nothing in here that said what Galileo was saying was heresy. But all of a sudden we're like, Ugh. you know, and we do the same thing with evolution. Now, I'm not a big proponent in it, but microevolution, I don't know how you argue against. So instead of completely shutting the door on it, maybe we invite them in. Oh, you believe in evolution? I want to know more about that. Why don't you tell me? I am not afraid that what you have to say is going to disprove this. Let's have a conversation. You know, and I think that having that kind of approach where we are humble enough to not turn our brains off, humble enough to invite them in, and confident enough that we're not afraid, it can really make a difference insofar as our interaction with other people. You know, because probably I would be very surprised otherwise if you don't have some kid, grandson, someone in your family who maybe has turned away from this. Maybe they've gone to science. Maybe they've gone to the modern age and you're very much like, no, 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 no. I would encourage you Take a deep breath. Don't be afraid. Know that the real enemy is not the science they are believing in. It's the Satan who has grabbed their heart. And the only thing that you need to do is pray for them and love them. And if you will do those two things without fear, I promise you the Lord will start making headway. Inviting them over into your home, letting them say what they want to say, and receive it with a smile on your face. And you will make a very serious connection with them, and they may begin to doubt what it is that they're saying. It's whenever you respond with fear that they have a foothold to say, well, maybe I have something here, because it seems like they're on the defensive. Something that I'm saying is getting to them. So maybe they're not so secure in this as they think they are. But it's whenever you respond with peace and being like, you know what? No, there's nothing my grandson can say that's going to disprove this. Let's talk about that. It can make some pretty serious headway there. Okay. So I just think that um, we should trust enough that if this is the truth, the truth is going to have its day. You know, there was this big proponent of they thought, okay, that whole story about the Egyptians uh, chasing the Israelites and them being drowned in the Red Sea. That's a bunch of baloney. There's a bunch of people who said that. If that story is true, we should find some chariots in the bottom of the sea somewhere. And then they did. I don't know how those chariots got there. You know, maybe they were just washing them one day and a big flood came in. You know, I don't know. So, 
I think that um, if we can bridge some gaps and maybe um, apologize, I think that would be a huge deal. Especially sometimes not even for the things that we do, but maybe for the people who stand in the same name as us. You know, we find a lot that we know what the Christians are against, and we know very little about the, what the Christians are for. And we should have the humility to not speak downly on them, but to maybe apologize for them. You know, like, you know, I don't know why they responded that way. I'm not going to speak to that. I don't know them. But I do know that their approach in anger was not appropriate. I'm sorry for that. Or I do know there's been a lot of, pe- lot of people who, have speak- who said that they're Christian who have um, spoken down on your belief system. And I don't know why they did that, but I'm sorry for that. But I want to say where I stand, and that's the fact that I am in your court, and I care about you. And I can't speak to them and what they do. I can't control them. But I do know what I stand for, what Christ stands for, and it's not that. You know, and just having a little bit of humility to know that we haven't always done things right, and we never will, and that's okay. Um, We just need to own up up to it. And sometimes it's not even us, but it's our brothers and sisters that we see in behaving in an immature way. Okay, because I've seen a lot of immaturity, especially over the last three years with COVID. It's been, it's been a very uh, difficult time, and I think it's caused us to respond in ways that we regret. And uh, I think if we can be the humble ones, the ones that come in and apologize first, I think we can really make some headway, if you know what I'm talking about here. Okay. Um, is there any other slides that we missed, Ken? Can you go through them just to make sure I miss everything? Next one. There we go. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Okay. Next one. Did that. Already did that. Okay, and that's it, right? Cool. All right. So I'm just going to end with there. Um, I would encourage you that if you guys want to nerd out with me at any point in time, If you want me to send you any of these YouTube videos, let me know. Um, If you've discovered something yourself that maybe I should have nerded out on up here, but I did not with you, please tell me. I got a lawn to mow today. So I would love an hour-long video on something that's that's really fun to listen to. Um, And then I would just encourage y'all, as y'all leave here, um, just to take a moment. just whenever you have time, just to stop and really appreciate the Lord. Um, Really appreciate just how wonderful he must be to be mindful of us of some of the things that I said today. I just find it so fascinating. I can't wait for the next 30 years as we continue to discover things that just more and more validate this. That's just just really awesome. Our God is awesome. Um, So I'm going to I'll go ahead and invite the worship band to come in, come up, and then I'm just going to close with this. I know all of you here, I don't think there's anyone I don't know, um, but I just want to reiterate, I know you've probably heard a thousand times from Ron, but I just want to say um, the whole reason why we're here and the whole thing that makes this whole thing exciting is the fact that uh, we have Jesus. Because having a God who's this magnificent, this big, and who does all these different things, who we can't connect with, uh, doesn't leave us feeling very good. And when you realize how big the gap is, and to know that we severed that relationship a long time ago, it really leaves you without hope, saying, how can I ever earn my way back to that? And so I think it makes the story of Jesus that much more meaningful, to know that We could not, that he really is higher up than I can communicate. We really are lower than I can communicate. And he had to be the one to come and bridge that gap. There's no way I can reach out to someone who can create a trillion galaxies with a word from his mouth. And so it makes the understanding of Jesus just amazing. He really had to come and he had to die for us and take his sin upon us. And... um, 
And we can trust the fact that, again, there is nothing we can do. There is no way I can pull myself up by my bootstraps into the heavens. I'm sorry. It's not a thing. But it gives me that much more confidence that, man, Jesus is the one who did it, and I can be confident in that. And if he said it, if he's able to speak into existence like I talked about, if he said this was a done deal, man, I can believe it. It just gives me such confidence in him and what he's done. So I just want to rest assure you this morning, um, if you have any doubts at all for yourself or even another loved one, the gospel really is all we need. When you look at the context of everything I've just said, because we like to separate everything, but it's all really joined together. When you put it into that context, we should have more confidence than we ever have, beloved, of how amazing this message is and why we need to be sharing it, because it really does make all the difference. So um, I'm just going to pray us out. And then I'll let my man lead worship here. Jesus, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for you, God. You are just so amazing. God, you fill my heart with wonder. I pray, God, that we would live in that place of wonder every day to know, God, that you are real, you are present, and you are more magnificent, God, than we can ever even think. God, it's easier and easier and easier to see why the angels, Lord, have no problem worshiping you forever. You would think we're going to get bored. This is going to not be fun after 100 million years. But man, if you are as big as what we are finding, God, if you are that magnificent, that beautiful, it is not going to be any problem at all. And I am grateful for that. God, I pray that you would remind our hearts through the difficulty of each day, God, how big you are and that it would give us hope. It would give us strength, that it would lead us back to you, God, because you really are the source of all life and you can give us what we need. Fill us up, give us strength, give us hope and encouragement, God. And may from that place of rest that your Bible talks about, may we share others with you. God, we are so just grateful to you. We bless your name. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.